You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. Coming up, as President Trump comes to Minnesota to talk taxes, we're digging into why more Americans aren't sold on his tax cuts. But first, to the political junkie Ken Rudin. Hello, Ken. How are you? Good morning, Kerry. Cherry blossoms out there in D.C., or am I late on that? Have they been out for a while? Oh, no, they're gorgeous, and the allergies are intense. <laughs> Does that mean you have allergies, so you, you're feeling the pain personally? Kerry, this is all about me. Remember that? <laughs> it is all about you. Ken, right. uh, you. as you heard, we are talking about taxes today and uh, some recent polling shows that many Americans don't feel like they got a tax cut. Boy, I'm hearing from a lot of people on Twitter on this this morning. Do you think that's because it was incremental through paychecks? Do you think it's because it was incremental and it it didn't really amount to much or that companies really got most of the tax? What's your take on this? Well, it seems like, first of all, the, the way they, they when when the Republican Congress put through this tax cut, the, the feeling at the time, or at least the salesmanship at the time, was that this would be a great cut for the middle class, that you would see it, you know, after your tax returns, you'd see much more money in your pockets. And people have learned and people have learned, seen that that is not the case at all, that while some people are benefiting, a lot of people are paying actually more in taxes. And so the 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 the, the changing of the tax system, the checking, the changing of the tax plans uh, that the Republicans instituted did not amount to that kind of cut that many people were led to believe but, would but, happen. But I do want to say this, Ken, the numbers show that the majority of Americans, the majority got a tax cut. I, I, I just wonder if this is because it wasn't that large. And I don't know, as somebody tweeted $20 in my paycheck. And then I, you know, and then somewhere for this tweeter, the deductions didn't work out. And so she's ended up paying more at the end of the year. But I I have to say the numbers show that Americans did uh, get a tax cut. Well, I mean, I'm not arguing against that. I think a lot of what I'm saying is, of course, uh, anecdotal evidence and, and, and stories you just hear on the in, in the media. But a lot of people, I, I well, look, look, who knows what is the average American? But I do know that with people who've been used to getting certain amount of deductions, applying for a certain amount of deductions every year, and not seeing the same kind of uh, benefits financially as they have in the past. At least that's the stories I've seen. But as but I've also seen, as you point out, that more Americans did see uh, a cut in their taxes than they have in the past. So, you know, I mean, there's anecdotal evidence and there's empirical evidence. But the fact is, is that some people are benefiting, some people are not. And I mean, perception also matters. I think we're going to hear that in our discussion about this. Ken, I also want to mention that President Trump is here today Bernie Sanders was in Wisconsin yesterday, and Sanders led this full-on attack about Trump's credibility, saying that the biggest lie that Trump told was the lie that he would stand with the working class of America. Hang, hang on one second. I want you to listen to a little bit about what Bernie Sanders said. And of all of the lies, little and small, that he has told, the biggest lie of all, was when he said during the campaign 
that he was going to defend the interests of the working class of our country and that he was going to take on the powerful special interest to do that. What a monstrous lie that was. Ken, this is a, clearly a decision by the Sanders campaign to go right at the president. Not all Democrats are doing that. What do you hear in that? Well, I don't think it's that risky, especially on taxes, because, I mean, if you make the argument that it's the Repub- it's the wealthy that benefited and it's the wealthy that should pay more of the cost than they are, and that's the argument of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and others in the Democratic field, I think taking on the president on the fact that not everybody shared his rosy uh, 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 you know, uh, thoughts about what his plans would bring for for workers and for for people like that. But but I think I mean that's basically the argument that Democrats have made against Ronald Reagan for or even Ronald going back to Ronald Reagan that while they talk good good about the middle class, uh, not everybody has benefited. Uh, Bernie Sanders, of course, is making more his his, his campaign more about economic uh, uh, parity uh, than other candidates. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is among them as well. And so for him to take on Donald Trump uh, is, is, is completely expected. Although I do kind of smile a little bit today being tax day. And of course, uh, the president being the first president since 1973, who has not released his tax returns, because of course, <laughs> he's under audit. <laughs> but, but that's so, but I mean, it's, it's just, a, you just shrug your shoulders. It's like, it's like when the president, you know, mocks Joe Biden for being touchy feely with other women. Donald Trump, is, but 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 he does that. He gets away with it. His base loves it, and nothing changes. Ken Rudin with us. If you have a question for Ken about, let's say, 2020, President Trump's policies on immigration, what he's been saying and tweeting out about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, here's the phone number, 651-227-6000. 800-242-2828. You can also tweet in a question at Kerry NPR. Just I, I thought an interesting graph here before we turn to immigration, Ken, still on 2020. Washington Post story about Sanders and the skepticism about how to approach Trump from Democrats. Here's what it says. Some worry that a national ticket led by a septuagenarian Democratic socialist at Sanders who wants to transform government will alienate the political center, not only helping Trump win a second term, but erasing recent gains by centrist Democratic lawmakers in suburban districts. This is something that the Democrats are talking about among themselves quite a bit, isn't it? Yes, but I mean, there were two sides to that story. Yes, there is the risk of Bernie Sanders getting the nomination. And as the Post editorial talks about alienating all those who, like, for example, who brought the Democrats to power in 2018, these were not all left-wing socialists who got the Democrats the majority in the House. There were a lot of them in swing districts that were people who were tired of, of Donald Trump. But at the same time, there's also the risk, and people have said the same thing, that if you nominate a centrist, let's just say Joe Biden, uh, then what happens to all the, the, the progressives and the liberals and the left-wingers who've been working so hard for the party on, you know, the, the Green New Deal and, and uh, Medicare for All and, and all the things that the progressives 
are fighting, and then you wind up with a with a with a, a Democrat light or, or or a liberal light in a Joe Biden. These are not my words. These are Democrats who say that we can't be centrist. That the kind of policies that the Democrats, like Hillary Clinton, like Joe Biden, have called for. It's a new era, and it's time to move where the Democrats are moving. So and, that and, debate is still being fought. Yeah, Ken, I would say the concern there isn't that, as you say, where's the energy going to come from, that they turn to voting for President Trump. It's the question, like, do they get out the vote? Do they stay home on Election Day? I mean, this is... They saw what happened with Hillary Clinton, who did not activate a certain number of Democrats, and they're worried about these people just hanging out and skipping the election. And you, yeah. And by mentioning Hillary Clinton, you make an important point that the battle between Sanders and Clinton, the battle between the insurgents and the establishment that we saw in 2016 has certainly not gone away. And Democrats are very fearful that it could resume in 2020. Ken, I I want to talk to you about uh, President Trump's tweeting out of this video uh, targeted at Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, uh, taking, extracting a small part of a speech that she gave where she talked about 9-11 and the president sending that out in a tweet with other stuff, other video around it, suggesting that, what, uh, she... She was somehow minimized. supportive. Minimize what? Well, or I, mean, minimi- I don't even know how to. I think it's. Go ahead. I think it suggested that she minimized the the, the horror of nine eleven. I don't think she's. I, I don't think he's saying that she supported it. Even though, when you see the planes going into the World Trade Center, you almost kind of add one and one equals two. But but I think what Dan Crenshaw and Republicans and President Trump are saying that by saying that line that, well, some people did something that was part of Congresswoman Omar's speech that was minimizing the horrors of 9-11. And that is the Republican argument. Uh, I mean, Democrats, Nancy Pelosi has uh, she's assessing she's having security assess uh, Ilhan Omar's security arrangements. What else can be? I mean, the president tweets this stuff out. Very difficult to address it, you know, head on. Uh, it's it's the dog whistle thing that activates part of his base, not all. I, I don't know how you you kind of fight against this, Ken. I, I think that's the the situation that uh, Democrats are in. I mean, what what do you say? It- the reason you can is because it seems like everything is on his terms. I mean, you think of all the things that happened regarding 2020 over the weekend. You have Pete Buttigieg officially announcing in South Bend. You have Eric Swalwell, the congressman from California, declaring his candidacy. Cory Booker made it official in Newark. But everything pales beyond what President Trump tweets or says or thinks. And the fact is he'll have his people say these incendiary things about the border, the, the thought about releasing uh, 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 people, the, the, the arrested migrants, release them in sanctuary cities as like, as like a pawn, like, as, like as, a, as, a, as a circus show. I mean, and everybody just responds to it. And same with, and same with all the things about what President Trump is doing about, 
uh, well, uh, just about everything about about Congresswoman Omar, and and you know that that a lot in the back of his mind, nobody's thinking about the Mueller report. I mean, once upon a time, that's all we talked about. <laughs> that the Mueller report was going right. to be the definitive. Not on this show, uh, the, by the way. Not on well, this show. But, well, no, of course not. But I'm just saying that everybody's going to wait. Now the narrative is is that. William Barr has already just told us what's in the Mueller report. Uh, the fact that it'll come out this week may not even matter. And now we still have to wrestle with everything else about incendiary videos about Congresswoman Omar, incendiary comments about what's going on at the border, things like that. We just respond. It, it, it's his show. And we all just play a part in it. Yeah. Call here from John in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Hi, John. What, what are you thinking about this? Yeah, I think the Omar thing is just, I mean, I, I don't like what they're doing with Ilhan Omar. She's my congresswoman. I really love her. But I think that the Trump playbook is really brilliant. If you just take the context of where we're at as a society in the United States right now, it plays so heavy to his base and to those independents that might think, yeah, you know, we want to be secure. We've got this woman sort of um, you know, sneaking in. It's just another woman happens to be Muslim. Like, it places so many narratives that are really unfortunate, but we have to, you know, really buck up and understand that at least 50 million people in this country probably think that the Trump playbook is the right playbook for America, mm. and they vote. And then those of us that maybe think another way or would like to see it a different way, we just spend a whole lot of time you know, cheering Pelosi for, like, setting up some security detail, that's really unfortunate when there's some real things that we could get around that would really build a base that could fight these really petty um, sort of uh, reality television narratives that Trump is really brilliant at. So, so can destructive rhetoric but smart political strategy, says John, yes? Well, yes, and and John does make the point that yes, his base is is certainly satisfied and encouraged whenever the president does something like this, and the Democrats seem very fractured. But again, this is April of 2019. The Republicans seem very fractured in April of 2015 when there were, I guess, maybe 15 Republican candidates running around. Jeb Bush, Marco, remember Jeb Bush? There was a guy named Jeb Bush who they spent $100 million <laughs> Vaguely on. back in the, the midst of time, yes. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so, I mean, things do change, but right now John makes a good point. His base, his the president's base, is united behind the president, and rightly so, because he's speaking their language. Right now, the Democrats seem to be coming at you from 20 different voices, ideologically pretty close on the same page, but there are definitely differences. Let's see where we are, you know, you know, come, come 2020 after there's a nominee, and whether that strong base that John talks about on the Republican side is equaled on the Democratic side, if not surpassed. Uh, okay, so Ken, I'm going to leave you with two tweets that I think really define the discussion that Democrats are having among themselves. Mallory tweets, Bernie has the most support. Leftists are more likely to stay jaded and stay home if he doesn't get the nomination. Here's Ian. Only politicians and their direct activists want to push the party in a more progressive direction. The majority of people are closer to the center and just want to be heard. This is why the stakes are high right there. Exactly. You picked two great tweets because I think both of them are right. It sounds like a John Kerry answer, but I think in many ways, (laughs) Mallory and Ian are both correct. That there is a risk, but there is promise on both uh, on either way. Ken, thank you much. As always, I'll talk to you next Monday. 
just heard a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to the discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet us at NPR. And if you miss us live, you'll find all our shows by subscribing to this podcast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing talk at npr.org.